Well, good morning, First Family. Let me just tell you, this is a big thing, and it's a big deal, and it needs to be for all of us. You know, this last week was definitely not the week we expected, was it? Anybody start the week last week saying, I'm going to need to boil water by the end of this week? Yeah, me neither. And, and, you know, I can't remember a time that we've ever needed to. But what we learned, and this is good news, friends, we, what we learned is that we can, we can manage. We can figure it out. Not only that, we can do it together. Let me just tip my hand a little bit here and say, what we saw on Friday, I think, is Midland at her best. Many of you came and stood in this north parking lot with us as we handed out water. Many in our community gathered at the other sites and did the same. We did it because we were all in this together and we needed one another, didn't we? We needed the chance to share what we had with those around us. Can I tell you today, my friends, this is what God has given us to do. And here's the really good news. Now that we've given them water, let's give them the living water. The living water that they will not be thirsty of again. There were a couple of folks. I served at two sites, here and at the MLK Center. And there was a couple of folks that I recognized from one site to the other. In other words, double dippers. They came to one site and they were worried, so they came to the other one and got some more. Don't blame them, I get thirsty too. Wouldn't it be nice to know you don't need to go anymore? That's the lesson of John 4, where Jesus says, I'm the living water. It springs up within you. This, friends, is our commitment about the my one. What if you have water and you're not willing to share it? Well, the law of the desert says you must, and that's certainly where we live. Only it's not a geographical desert or a climate-based one, it is a spiritual one. Our world is a spiritual desert. Can I tell you today, my friends, share the water you found. Share the water you found. We got plenty of room in this auditorium for you to bring someone with you. What brings them will not be great preaching, although you're definitely gonna have that. It won't be great music, although you're gonna have that too. It will be your relationship with them that brings them, your invitation. It's not easy, but it is certainly worth it. If you really believed that you had the key to all eternal life, wouldn't you use it to bless those that are around you? My prayer is that today you'll say yes to that and you'll start. Well, let's jump right into the Word of God. As my friend Doug rightly read a moment ago, Revelation 19 is where we are. We are talking today about Christ the warrior king arriving in victory over the Antichrist. Some of you are going to go away from this talk today disappointed. Disappointed not because Jesus isn't victorious. No, let's be clear, friends. He is victorious. Jesus stands supremely over it all. There is no question about that. He is faithful and true. He rides the white horse. He has the name on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is who he really is. Some of you are going to be disappointed, though, because at the last portion, verses 17 to 21, we're going to talk about the Battle of Armageddon, and you're going to be disappointed because there really isn't much to say. Why is that so? Because Jesus has already won. Let's start at the beginning and at the end. 
at the cross of Jesus Christ, Satan lost. Man, I'm gonna say that again, maybe somebody will give me an amen. At the cross of Jesus Christ, Satan lost. And it means he lost for all eternity. There is never a time when he is equal forces to Jesus again. Why is that true? Because of who we know Jesus to be. So as we begin, I want us to pray that the Spirit of God will open our hearts and our minds to see Jesus for who he really is, not just who we've made him to be. Let's pray together to that end. Gracious Jesus, today we've gathered in your house to hear your word, to hear it proclaimed and hear it celebrated, but more to the point, Lord Jesus, for your spirit to open our eyes to see you for who you really are. Would you, Jesus, today pull back the curtain? Would you let us see you, Lord, for who you really are, not just who we've made you or imagined you to be? Let us today, Lord Jesus, rejoice in the goodness that you've shown us. And let us rejoice that you, the warrior king, Jesus, you have already won. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when we see Jesus, the warrior king, we see him as the victorious conqueror. Go back there with me to, to Revelation 19:11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Let's just proclaim this today. Jesus, riding a white horse, arrives from heaven. And we all know what riding a white horse means, don't we? We all grew up loving Westerns. If you don't like gun smoke, you must be a communist. I believe that with every fiber of my being. And let me tell you, good guys ride white horses, all right? That's how it works. And when we see a white horse, we understand not only is he a good guy, he is the victor. Jesus, riding this white horse, arrives from heaven. Now, some will say, but Darren, it never says Jesus' name here. How do we know it's him? Let's take a look at Christ's appearance. If you want to see Jesus for who he really is, when you see him, you won't have to ask who is it. His rightful place is fully revealed and his full identity made clear. Let's see how Revelation describes him. Christ's appearance is thus. His eyes are like a flame of fire. Go all the way back to Revelation 1. There where John's vision begins, what is it that we see about Jesus? That his eyes reflect the zeal and passion of his heart. Go over to Hebrews chapter 11. You'll see at the close of that chapter, it says our God is a consuming fire. Go back to 2 Kings 17, and you'll see God sending fire as a marker of his presence to Elijah and on the prophets of Baal. When you move through scripture, you see fire and its purifying focus as a part of God's presence and a marker of his power. Here, here we see eyes in Jesus that are flames of fire. Not only does, does he have remarkable eyes, get this, he has crowns on his head. Not one crown, but many. Tradition was in the first century and in the days past that and, and before it as well, 
If you conquered a people, if you conquered a land that had a ruler, not only did you take his land, but you took his crown and you placed it on your head. Well, what if you were already wearing a crown? Then you wore another one. And you kept stacking them on top of each other to show that you were victorious, that you were somebody to be taken seriously. Friends, let me just tell you today, crowns on his head reflect his rightful place as Lord and master of all that is. He's riding a white horse, a symbolic and historic emblem of victory. And get this, right there near the end of that section, his name is uniquely his own. He shares it with no one. And I'm not going to ask you to confess to this. But maybe you have a family nickname, a name that doesn't get shared outside of your home. Nicknames, they're powerful. And when we hear them, we know that this person really does know us. They have something invested in us. Can I tell you today, this name that Jesus has. It is so powerful, so uniquely his own, it is something that isn't even spoken, nor is it shared. Jesus has a name that is uniquely his own. Not only is he an appearance physically like this, I want you to see Christ's clothing. His robe is dipped in the blood. Now, there's a lot of discussion about what this means. Is this the blood of the martyrs? Is this the blood of those who have been slaughtered, who were opposed to Christ? I think something different altogether. I think it is dipped in the blood of Jesus Christ that cleansed every stain. Let me tell you, friends, he wears a garment that reminds us of the price that he paid and the symbol of the victory that he has. Can I tell you today, friends, Christ's clothing, dipped in his own blood that cleansed every stain is a reminder of who he is and why he is victorious. Let's move on to Christ's role. He is called faithful and true. Later in that section, he's called the word of God, a clear reference to John chapter 1, the gospel of John chapter 1, a reference singular to John and his writings. To use it in this personal way underscores Jesus' eternality, and his rightful place with God. Oh, friends, this is no ordinary person who's riding in on this white horse. He is faithful, he is true, he is the word of God, and he comes not alone. He comes with an army. Christ's army, he is followed by the armies of heaven all on their white horses. They're dressed in fine linen, white and pure. It reflects their place as a part of the bride as well. Let me just tell you, friends, this battle they're coming to fight, it's going to be short. Not because it's insignificant, not because the enemy has no power, but because Christ has all power. And because he has all power, he brings it into effect here in Revelation 19. Christ's warrior king method Let's talk about how he's going to bring this to pass. He will strike down the nations, those who oppose him, those who would seek to name him irrelevant or push him to the edges. They will be struck down. He will rule over them with an iron rod, a rod that enforces his will and ensures that it is accomplished. And this last section, he tramples the winepress of God's wrath, Isaiah 63 
Yes, it's the same section that we saw in Revelation 14. It's the same thing from the battle hymn of the Republic. Here is where we connect that with this. Let us get to the end of it there in verse 16. Christ's royal and victorious name. King of kings and Lord of lords. A few years ago, there was a football team. I don't remember who it was. I should have, should have made better notes about who that was. But they did something interesting. They put the team name on the thighs of their players. Now, when you saw them standing up, well, it wasn't that impressive. You're like, why did they do it that way? But when you saw the offensive linemen get down in their stance and the camera would pan in from the side, all you could see was the name. Well, that's not unlike what it's like when somebody's riding a horse. Their leg is propped up, and it usually is about eye level. And what do you look when you see? What do you see when you look at that? You see King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Friends, he's telling us who he is simply by riding in. I want you to rejoice in this because this is good news for those of us in Christ, even if we're in the middle of a battle ourselves. Standing out in those parking lots watching people come past, it was clear to me there were some who the last thing they needed was to have to figure out water too. Some of them looked beaten down, worn out. A few of them, I wanted to pull them out of the car just to hug them. I didn't, mind you, but I wanted to. Wouldn't it be good news to them to know that Jesus loves them and invites them into the, his victory? Wouldn't it be good news for you? Maybe you're one of those who needs some good news today. I want to give you two things to take home with you. One, recognizing Jesus is easy when you know what he looks like. Too many of us are trying to figure out Jesus. They want him to look different than he does. They want him to look more like they do. There's nothing wrong with that, but I want to tell you today, friends, when you see Jesus for who he really is, you won't have to ask, who is it? Let's take it a step further. People will understand who Jesus is when I show them Jesus in my life. When I show them the joy that I have in the victory that God has brought to me. When my perspective is different than those around me, then it's a, a, a reminder that I'm showing them who Jesus is. Can I tell you today, friends, today's a good day to do it. This week. We don't know what this week holds. Maybe it's more boiling water. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe there's a challenge waiting for us this week that we can't see from here, but God already knows. Isn't it good to know that Jesus is already there? Isn't it good to know that his victory is already secure? Isn't it good to know that he goes with me into that fire? And isn't it good to know that I can recognize him because I know what he looks like? Here's the second thing. Recognize that Christ the warrior king fought your battles on your behalf. I want you to put this down somewhere where you'll see it. Jesus has already won and brings me along with him. Let me say that again. Jesus has already won and brings me along with him. It's important that we notate this because I don't know if this is true for everybody, but sometimes I feel like a loser. There are days when I feel so beaten down and so worn out and so exhausted and so overwhelmed, it's easy to go, <sighs> gee, Jesus has already won. 
And because he fought the battles on my behalf, notice that's past tense, then I can rest with him. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to live in fear. I don't have to worry and, and, and cower in a corner. I don't have to let fear vote in my life and cast a deciding vote every time. No, quite the opposite. Christ has already won and brings me along with him. Now, does that mean I always am going to get what I want? No, that's not what I said at all. This isn't those kind of churches. Instead, it's the kind of victory that says no matter what happens to my days on this earth, Jesus has my eternity secure. And if I'm going to be secure somewhere, I'd rather it be there than here. As great as Texas is, as great as Midland is, doesn't hold a candle to heaven, and I'm going to be there a whole lot longer than I'm here. So are you. You're going to be somewhere. My prayer is it'll be in heaven. Let's wrap this up with a great and brief battle of Armageddon. Now, I told you some of you are going to go away disappointed. I'll tell you now why. Start with me in verse 17. I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the white horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive in the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. At last, the battle has reached its climax. The two opposing forces are finally face to face. The great and awesome beast and the false prophet and all those who've received the mark of the beast on one side and the king of kings and the lord of lords on the other. The beast and all of those who are with him, they are marshaled together. Christ and his armies are too. We come to this place and we expect it to be a cataclysmic, apocalyptic event. Instead, what we find is a feast for the birds. The angel standing in the sun, and what that means is something I can't tell you because I don't know. The angel standing in the sun commands the birds to swoop in and feast on the flesh of those who would make war against Christ. I want you to notice something. That command is in verse 17 and 18, before the battle even starts. And it, the reason for that is, the angel already knows the outcome. He knows. Nothing left to do but finish up. Which brings us to the last thing. The battle that wasn't because Jesus already won. The beast and the false prophet are captured. I want you to see it there in verse 20. Underline it if you like. And the beast was captured and with it prophet, who in the presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who'd received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. 
There's no battle. This is it. Somebody's probably going to come to me after this service and I don't blame you and say, well, that's disappointing, Darren. I was hoping for a better game than that. I thought they'd at least put up a scuffle. I want you to go back to where we started. At the cross of Christ, Jesus already won. The battle was fought there. When it arrives at its conclusion here in Revelation 19, the battle has already been lost. The beast and the false prophet, they just surrender. Well, now wait a minute, Darren. How can it be that simple? How can it be that easy? You know, have you ever had one of those moments where you realize I'm in over my head? And one of those times, like that commercial that's so prevalent on football games these days, a man who is sitting at a crosswalk while an old lady crosses the street with a man helping her, and the impatient motorist honks his horn and then realizes that it is a football player of enormous proportions that he's just honked at helping the old lady. And he immediately wishes he hadn't. So what does he do? He throws his car in park and runs away from the car, realizing that he's overmatched. That's exactly what's happening with the beast. Only he can't run away. Neither can the false prophet. Jesus has already won. They are captured and, get this, thrown alive into the lake of fire. They won't be the only ones in there, but they are some of the first. When we get to the end of Revelation 20, we'll see some others join them. When we get to 21, we'll see the new heaven and the new earth instituted and Eden restored. That's what we intend to talk about over the next few weeks but before we get this, before we get there, I want you to recognize this. Satan thought he had won at the cross. He had struck a blow and had taken Christ down. He had spent all of eternity up to that point gaming for just such a moment, and indeed he thought he had won. He had for two days. Christ was buried and the darkness hung thick in the air, thick on their shoulders. But when Christ rose, when Jesus was victorious back to life again, when he stood prominently and victoriously again, Satan knew right then and there that he'd lost. The only thing that he's not telling you is that. He deceives people with this. Ah, you can pass by Jesus. He's just not that significant. You can pass by the kingdom of God. It's not that important. You can ignore the counsel of God because, after all, my wisdom is that all these people can't possibly be wrong. Surely not all of them are fooled. Today, friends, I want you to recognize the battle has already been won because Jesus has already won it. When you look at your own life, I want you to ask this question, whose victory am I counting on? If it's Jesus' victory, then you already have it. If it is the victory that you're hoping for, for anything or anyone else, you will never find it. 
Today, friends, I want you to do this, and I want you to take it home with you. Take rest in God's victory in Christ. The battle is already won. And friends, we're not going to do a standard invitation today because we want to move to the Lord's Supper. But it would be inappropriate and wrong to do no invitation. So as you're closing up your Bible and putting things away, I want you to ask yourself this. What does the victory of Christ mean for me? How do I get to take part in that? If your answer is, I don't know, then today is your day to connect with the God who has already won. Jesus, in all of his power and victory, invites you to a personal relationship with him, not an extended one of somebody else's, well, my grandma knows Jesus, and that's close enough. My father knows Jesus, and that's close enough. No, this is the thing. God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has children. I want you today to invite Jesus to be your Lord and Master to be the Lord of your life and to bring you into this victory so that you need not fear what we've just described. Because see, as much as it's going to be great for those of us in Christ, the other side is horrible. If we don't care enough about people to invite them into the grace of Jesus, maybe we can care enough about them to save them from this wrath. Today, friends, if you are one who would say, I need Jesus in my life, here's what I want you to do. At the end of this service, I want you to come right out these doors and find me standing right over here. I'll be waiting for you. This is the day God has given you for salvation, and we want you to find it. Maybe, just maybe, you need to join our church and walk with us in the victory of Christ. Come see me about that, too. I'll be waiting for you. I've been praying for this moment all week, and really, for the last six or seven weeks, that's how long it's been since I put this talk together. But today, I want you to recognize that Christ, who has already won, invites you into that victory. Let's pray together. Today, Jesus, we recognize the power of your victory that you came to bring that to us. Your death on the cross brought me life. It's hardly fair. Your penalty brought me benefit. But yet, Lord Jesus, you came for that very purpose. Today, Lord, we ask that you would remind us that it is for that purpose that you brought us together today. To remember, your victory is enough. So let us stop trying to win a fight that you've already won. Let us stop trying to wrestle with things that are too heavy for us. Let us find today, Lord Jesus, the strength we need to simply acknowledge who you are and the victory that you came to bring us. Would you meet with us now in this invitation time, Lord Jesus? I pray for those who need to respond to you. Will you help us, Lord, to know your peace in the midst of our battles and that you have already won them? And will you, because of who you are, Lord Jesus, show us your mercy 
as we struggle. Thank you, Lord, that you're in the midst of it with us. I pray, Lord, for those who need to respond today. Let them do so today. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.